Hi, my name is Kim Wilkins, and I'm a graduate student at the School of Education at the University of Virginia. I'm studying curriculum and instruction with a focus on innovation and computer science education. This series of podcast episodes is all about bringing computer science education research into the K-8 classroom. All right, welcome back, everyone. I am excited to have Michelle Friend with me, who I've gotten to meet through an organization called CSTA, Computer Science Teachers Association. And if you've never heard of that and you're listening to this podcast, you need to sign up because it's a really great organization to connect with other teachers that are doing computer science, interested in computer science. So Michelle, I hope you don't mind. I wanted to do a little plug for that. You're free to give more plugs as well, but could you introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself? Sure. So I am an assistant professor at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. I teach in the teacher education department and primarily I was hired to, we have a, in in Nebraska, we have a computer science teaching credential that's an add-on credential. And so here at UNO, there is a program to credential teachers and it's a joint program between teacher education and the CS department. So I was hired into teacher education essentially to work in that area. My background sort of going backwards, my PhD was from Stanford University in learning sciences and technology design, where my research, my dissertation in particular was about sort of women's interest in computer science. Before that, I spent 10 years in teaching at a fantastic school called the Girls Middle School, which at the time was in Mountain View, California. And I was the computer science teacher. And eventually when we grow big enough to have a computer science department, I was the department chair. And then going back before that, I was a system administrator. Most of my career was in Indiana. So that's sort of going back in time. Yes, Um, yes. Nice. So the, your your trajectory, I, I love that. Like that would be one of my dream trajectories, especially being able to work with girls in school. I work with them in after school programs. What what was that like? Oh my God, it was so great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, so like I said, kind of early in my career, I worked in technology in Indiana. And actually in many ways that led to my interest in doing research around women in technology and computing because Indiana was a very hard place to be a woman in technology. So when I was moving to Silicon Valley, I you know, was just kind of looking for a job and I found this job as a system administrator of this girls school. And I thought, oh, wow. And it was, I mean, it's gosh, it's just the most amazing school. I could do a whole plug for the school. Like after you join CSTA, go look up the school and send your kids there. It's really holistic. It really does attend to the whole child. But one of the things is that they want to ensure that the girls have as many doors open to them as possible. So computer science is a mandatory course all three years of middle school. That's awesome. Um, You know, so (laughs) the girls have art, they have wood shop, they have like, there's a skate ramp, you know, like it, it just, there are these amazing opportunities there, but it's all very holistic. You know, if you are an arty kind of kid, they support that. But if you're a STEM kind of kid, they support that too. And part of it is everybody has to try all the things. So you have the opportunity to develop your passion. Oh, that's perfect. Especially in middle school. Like that is, that is awesome. So I do have uh, two papers that I wanted to talk with you about. And one of them is uh, related to that. So maybe we'll start there. It's the middle school girls envisioned future in computing. Um, how did that research come about? 
And, you know, what was the emphasis for us and what was your role in the research? So essentially, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I almost have to tell you the whole story of how I came to go to grad school. So I was an early member of the Computer Science Teachers Association. I'm actually one of the founding board members. Oh, nice. And yeah. And so at the time, which was the sort of early to mid 2000s, I was the only middle school computer science teacher anybody knew. And I was also the only sort of computer science teacher of girls that anybody knew. And I kept being invited to give presentations about the work that I was doing, partly as a proof of concept. Hey, look, you can teach cool, meaningful computer science to middle school kids, which mm -hmm. people didn't really know. And the thing was, the longer I spent in CSTA and going to conferences like the Special Interest Group for Computer Science Education, the more that I was meeting researchers and realizing that just because we all thought that what I was doing seemed good didn't actually make it good and that that was an empirically answerable question. Yeah. And so I could either get one of those researchers to research what I was doing or I could go learn how to do it myself. And so that's actually why I went to grad school was I wanted to be able to answer that question myself. I then spent six years not learning to answer that question at all, um, which, you know, hey kids, grad school, not what you think it is. It was, I mean, an amazing experience, but, but so this paper came out of in my program, we had to do what was called the first year project. So right away, your very first year, you had to design a small research project. So I designed a survey because I was interested in the attitude. So I really, my, my research training to some extent is, is as an educational psychologist. And so I was interested in girls' attitudes around computing. And, and could we, you know, if we found, let's say, a school where we had lots of girls who were doing computer science, I was interested to know what did they think about it? you know, sort of what were their career aspirations? Did they like it? How was their confidence? Like girls' confidence we know falls in middle school kind of generally across all areas. Mm -hmm. Although some research has shown that in one of the reasons why the school that I worked in was an all girls school is because in all girls contexts, girls maintain confidence in other, you know, sort of things that they tend to lose in other inchoate contexts. They yeah. tend to keep in all girls contexts so I found a school where all the girls had to take computer science and I surveyed the eighth graders at the end of, you know, so at the end of eighth grade, you've had three years of computer science. What do you think? And this paper came out of that sort of mandatory first year project and, you know, really did show on the one hand that, I mean, I don't know, well, it was interesting that the results were sort of mixed to me because when I submitted it, you know, so the peer review process is you write your paper, you submit it, and then other researchers read it and give you feedback. And the first conclusion that I had, so there was a five-point Likert scale of how much do you think you might grow up to be a computer scientist, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to do the rest of the research, I split the girls into two groups. Those who had answered no, like definitely not or probably not to the will you be a computer scientist, and those who had not answered no. Mm -hmm. And only about a third of the girls were open to a computing career. Hmm. And so I, so one of my conclusions was exactly that only about a third of the girls and a couple of the reviewers were like, you seem very pessimistic. Like that seems great. <laughs> and I, I was like, I do see it like that. That does not seem great to me. So I went and I compared it 
and other research, and there's not a lot in this area, at least there wasn't at the time, had been comparing girls who were very excited about a computing career. So 35% was great if it was really excited and not just have not rejected this. Right, right. Like 4% of my population was really excited about computer science, which was much less than other studies. But, you know, there were, and, and many of the results were actually unsurprising. So like the girls who were open to a computing career were more confident. They were more interested. They tended to have more computing hobbies. You know, so a lot of that. I think one of the things I read that they had adults in their life who encouraged them like either their parents or teachers. Yeah. Although even with that, like, I mean, it's, and it's a very, it was a very descriptive study. Like there's, Mm -hmm. you know, you can only go so far with the conclusions, but like one of the questions was to what, like, what was the direct, I mean, we, we can't answer this without really a very different study, but like, what was the directionality? Because it's true. The girls who are excited about a computing career tended to have an adult encouraging them, but especially say, for example, if it's a teacher, was it that they were approaching a teacher and asking for support or was it that the teacher had identified them and said, Hey, you seem great. Can I help you? And we don't know. Yeah. You know, so, but that said, encouraging students, like a good thing to do. And even, and actually So one thing is, and there's only a conference paper as a follow-up, but I did a follow-up study. It's one of the only longitudinal studies of this type Mm -hmm. that looked at the girls at the end of high school. So I was able to find out of the 71 in this study, I think 40. And essentially the girls who had been interested and confident and all the like open to a computing career at the end of middle school tended to stay interested, open to mm-hmm. it. Like it was like, if you can capture them, right, then they stay captured. And they, and like some of the questions in the follow-up study had to do with their opportunities in high school, because not all high schools have computer science. Mm-hmm. Like one of the questions, I mean, I remember talking to, for example, Jan Cuny when she was at NSF and she was doing a lot of work supporting like AP computer science. Cause she said, if we get kids in, in middle school, and there's no opportunity for them in high school, they, you know, they'll lose it. Like they'll walk Mm -hmm. away. They won't come back. And what I have found across multiple studies is that that is not true. If you can capture them in middle school, if you provide those opportunities, not everybody is going to be like, oh, wow, this is my thing. I love it. And that's okay because we need lots of other not computer scientists in the world too. Like I want artists. I want doctors. I want lots of other things too, although I want all of those people to know a little computer science, but the ones who get captured, even if they've got nothing in high school, they will still keep liking it. They will still keep knowing what they know. Many of them will do it as a hobby. They'll do things outside of school, whether it's make websites or build apps or whatever. So middle school, I mean, and and elementary now too. I mean, this study was only about middle school students, but providing those opportunities for kids to get turned on is incredibly important. So that sounds like a big takeaway for educators <laughs> out of this study. So let's uh, also talk about the other study, which is called Bricklayer Elementary Students Learn Math Through Programming and Art. I had never heard of Bricklayer, layer, but I have done a lot of uh, you know, code and art type of thing with either scratch or processing. Uh, but what was, it, what was this study about? Remind me to come back to processing too. 
So this study, it really came out of a collaboration with other faculty members here, and it's part of a sort of much larger work, I guess, body of work. So a computer, the reason that you've never heard of Bricklayer is because it's very small. A computer science professor here at UNO built this programming language, I guess, or programming environment called Bricklayer. And it is a functional programming language. So if you know anything about the Bootstrap program, mm -hmm. it's very similar to that in some ways, except Bootstrap in some ways is smaller. It's very tight in terms of what it does. Like you make a game, it's got this sort of this one thing you do. Mm -hmm. And Bricklayer was intended to be, you know, sort of a more functional, larger environment. So this computer science, scientist created it actually for initially for his students at the university because they would come into his programming languages like computer science majors would come into his programming languages course towards the end of their computer science major and he felt like they were really struggling and they didn't have a good grasp of a bunch of fundamentals so huh. he created this easy to engage with you know, sort of there's a there is a text based environment, but there's also a block based environment to program in it that creates art so that he could teach it to freshmen to give them a better background, like to prepare uh -huh, these CS uh -huh. majors. Basically, Java is a terrible intro language. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Biggest takeaway for educators. Java is a terrible pro teaching language. <laughs> and and so he created this thing and he's because he's a programming languages person he's he loves functional languages so it's built on top of a functional language so whatever it creates art then a mathematician one of the math professors saw him give a presentation about this environment and she looked at it and the thing is functions in a functional programming language and functions in algebra are the same Mm -hmm. And she looked at what he was doing and she said, you are teaching math. You just aren't calling it math. And everybody hates algebra. And oh my heavens, this is a way that we can transform math instruction. Yes. So they started working together and they pulled me in because I'm a learning scientist who knows computer science and who wants to improve instruction. <laughs> and so we ended up with this team of researchers and we actually got an NSF grant and created a course at the university that is a general education math course that is programming art. Oh, but we awesome. also <laughs> we also started working. It turns out like you so so Dr. Winner, when he was working on bricklayer for his class, he had young children. And so he would be working on it at home and his kids would come in and they got really into it. So he started creating a bunch of stuff for them. And so it made us realize, oh, elementary students could do this. Mm -hmm. So we started working, doing outreach in elementary schools here and worked with some schools and got them to teach it with, and it was with, because it's hard to get into the schools, it was with the high ability learners, but across mm -hmm. multiple schools. So we wanted to prove, I mean, partly because we thought this, it was kind of proof of concept, we partly wanted to prove and, and see, investigate, like, is it actually doing anything good? Like it's fun and the kids like it and that's great, but right, it's sort of back right. to my original question of why I went to grad school. Like, okay, it seems good, but like, is it actually good? Is it helping in any way? Uh -huh. And if it was, we wanted to be able to go to the district and be like, you should not just have this for your high ability learners as like an elective 
pull out fun thing the smart kids get to do. This should be right. a thing everybody gets to do. So that paper really came out of that, you know, sort of those questions and showed that in fact it was interesting and maybe it's because the high it's the high ability learners it did not change attitudes so that was one of our ideas was the kids seem to like it we think it's going to make math appealing uh -huh. and we don't know whether they didn't realize they were doing math or whether they just i mean to some extent i think we had what's called a ceiling effect where the kids just really liked it like they liked it at the beginning and they liked it at the end and like these are kids who are pretty into school feel successful like they're confident they're interested yeah. There was not a lot of room to change their attitudes for the positive, but what we did was really improve their spatial ability and some mm. of the stuff with math. So it turned out it really did work at supporting learning, which was great. So that's sort of what that paper showed. The interesting thing, and where I said, you know, let me come back to processing, is that in elementary math, all the elementary teachers are going to be so happy with me talking about this, except unless I get it wrong, because I am not actually, I am neither an elementary person nor really a real math person with graphing. So one of the cool things about any programming, honestly, programming of art is mm -hmm. that it supports kids engagement with the coordinate graphing system. Yes. And, you know, so first of all, we know that spatial skills, which are supported by all of this work are highly correlated with ability in science, math, technology, like STEM mm -hmm. skills are made better when you have good spatial skills and spatial skills are supported by stuff like playing with Lego, but coordinate graphing stuff. The thing is when you teach coordinate graphing in school, it seems really boring. I mean, it can be kind of neat, but math teachers do not have kids being like, ooh, let me graph that curve, yay. And the kids are like, when am I ever going to have to graph a curve in my life ever? Exactly. But in you, a video game. <laughs> right. Well, or like you, so you get them to start programming art and you say, I want you to make any piece of art you want, but it has to be a certain amount of complex. And I mean, honestly, the kids are pretty driven to make things that are pretty complex because they don't want just like a blob on the screen. They want, mm -hmm. you know, their favorite Pokemon. They, I mean, you tell how dated I am. Like whatever <laughs> it is. They want to create things that are cool. And so it really is very motivational. The mathy part, bricklayer works not on the vertices, it works in the spaces in between. So hmm. you do give it coordinate points, but it's putting dots in the spaces in between the lines. And coordinate graphing in math is more about the lines. And mm -hmm. so when we talked to elementary school math teachers, that was one of the biggest weaknesses of the bricklayer environment. There was no good way really to get past that. Hmm. And what has actually ended up happening at the university. So over time, we have more or less abandoned the elementary school work. So the reality is this paper was kind of a one-off and then mm -hmm. we couldn't form enough. It's very hard to form partnerships with schools. And yeah. so we didn't do that, but we did keep working. We have a lot more control at the university. So the course that we teach at the university that you know, essentially I research, we actually moved away from bricklayer and now do processing using JavaScript. And it is like the biggest success that 
we find in terms of that. I mean, in many ways, like all of the things that were ever great about it continue to be great, but because the goal really is math learning, it turns out that processing supports the real math and transferable math much better because mm -hmm. of things like the lines instead of the spaces. Yeah. My colleague that I worked with when I was at the school I was teaching at used processing a lot and basically like I'm teaching math and the kids loved it. And I feel like that's the one of the coolest things about computer science. I mean, clearly it's easy to do computer science that's just theoretical and it's all real computer science, but it's so naturally interdisciplinary. Like the fact that computer science is a lot about creating models and that science is about you know, creating and testing models, the fact that you can do this cool programming where you're making art, but really you're learning math too. It's so like that idea, like you don't just have to go to a class and like now I'm in this silo and in 45 minutes from now, I will go to the next silo and then there will be a different silo. Like I love that you can just be learning all these things at the same time. Yeah, that's for sure. So one of the things that, especially with this paper, that seems intriguing to me is how you did have all these different collaborators from across the university, the computer science, the math, education. And I'm just wondering, you know, what are takeaways that researchers and universities can take from that kind of approach? It is hard and worthwhile. So that collaboration in particular you know, I teach teachers and I talk to them a lot about group worthy projects and that a lot of times I think we want students to do collaboration because we know that, you know, collaboration is a 21st century skill and kids should collaborate. And, you know, but then also, and especially with computer science teachers, I talk to a lot of computer science teachers who then freak out about you know, well, but how can I grade it? Because I don't know who did what part. And I mean, also, you know, plug for grading for equity and stop worrying about who did what part and who gets what grade. But, what grades, you know, right, in general. Right. <laughs> just, oh my gosh, everybody should get me. And again, whatever, like it's more complicated than that. But I feel like as a grown up, I mean, and I was a kid, oh my gosh, who hated group projects because I was the A student who did all the work, mm -hmm. you know, and got assigned the like two C students and an F student so that I could just carry them. And as a grown up, what I've found is that most of the projects that I've worked on, and especially professionally, are very group worthy projects. So these collaborations, like that project, when we started, you know, Victor, who had written this environment, is a great computer scientist and wants to change things for the better, but what he does is write programming languages. And Betty, who recognized the math, and really, I mean, and especially at the university, has just done amazing things in terms of making the opportunities for students who, are, who have math fear who are math hesitant, who are just not going into math, like having there be meaningful opportunities where they can succeed and change attitudes and learn that math is not this horrible thing that's boring like they thought. But neither one of them knew the educational research or how to do the educational research to come in and say, like, are kids learning? Are you changing attitudes? What's really happening here? And so they worked with me and that's the thing, like Betty and I could not have done the programming and 
you know, Victor and I could not have seen the mathematical, you know, sort of outcomes. And I mean, Betty teaches the math classes and really has like done the connections there. And, you know, neither of them knew how to do the educational research to figure out, is it working? Like, is this even worth doing? Mm -hmm. So like those collaborations where everybody really brings their strengths to a group that needs those strengths is spectacular, you know, and it also is very time consuming. It's a ton of meetings. It's a ton of collaborating. You know, lots of times there are all kinds of arguments about, you know, everything from, I mean, you know, even when we were creating one of the first classes, like, how are we going to handle late work? You know, when I'm coming in as an educator and, you know, I mean, in Victor and I, for example, so like Victor's coming in as a computer scientist and cheating is often rampant in computer science classes. And so he's like, how are we going to keep them from cheating? And I'm like, how are you going to give grace and give every student the opportunity to demonstrate mastery, even if they have not mastered the material the very first time? And he's like, but if they get a second chance, then they might cheat. And I'm like, but if they don't get a second chance, then they might fail. And that's not fair because if you want them to learn, you need to give them a second chance to learn. And, you know, so these great discussions, but very time consuming, Yeah, you know, and yeah. even stuff like, I mean, that paper was spectacular. I, I analyzed all of the data and I come in with the results. And if you can read, you know, education or psychology research, like the P values are spectacular. The effect sizes are amazing. Like the results are amazing. And nobody else in that room had any idea. I'm like, look at this effect size. And they're like, we do not know what that is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm just learning what all that stuff is, but yeah, that, that, that's one of the reasons I do this because it can be intimidating to be like, what does this mean? You know? It's true. It's a skill. Yep. And, and like plenty of their work, I read it and it's a very, you know, it's a very similar response. Like when Victor writes papers about the inner workings of the algorithms, I'm just like, I have no idea what you are even talking about, <laughs> you know, but we're back to, you know, and, and I guess like going back to with, you know, your original question of what can universities, like what should universities take away from this? I think the sum is greater than the parts mm -hmm. that each of us would do perfectly fine work, but together, you know, our abilities are just really amplified. So kind of wrapping things up for either of these papers, my first question is, what do you hope researchers take away or what do you hope next steps are in either of these sort of investigations? I think... And I would hope I don't have to say this, but I suspect I still do. To some extent, both of these papers, like the takeaway is kids can do so much more than you think they can. And I mean, gosh, that's probably the greatest theme of all of, like of a lot of my work and especially the work at the kind of college level has just been really proving to people kids can do if, if you give them an opportunity and you have to support them some 
But if you give them an opportunity and you get out of their way and stop limiting them with your opinion of what kids can do, they can do amazing things. And I feel like that is to some extent the takeaway of both of these papers and, you know, and probably some other papers that I've written to that just show, and even, you know, I'm thinking of there, I have another paper that's also about middle school students. It was an extension of a paper with college students where the college student paper had to do with how students reason about algorithmic efficiency. And when I saw the paper presented, the researchers, they had not been sure that freshmen in college could reason about algorithmic efficiency. And their paper showed that, in fact, you know, college freshmen can reason about algorithmic efficiency. And my colleague, who is a high school person, and I looked at each other and were like, are they kidding? Middle school students could do this. And so we did a paper to show that, in fact, middle school students can do this. Nice. And we found that not all middle school students can do this. Some of them developmentally are just not quite ready yet. But in fact, like turns out if you use language that's accessible, if you use tools that make sense, like they don't, you know, I would say Java is a terrible tool for middle schoolers. I have said that many times, in fact, but they can think about programming. They can think about algorithms. They can do cool stuff. So this might also be the takeaway for educators as well. And I know I'm going to use the example of my colleague who uses processing in the high school. He would come down when I was doing kindergarten lessons and we're doing the same concepts, you know, conditions, loops and things like that. And he'd be like, we, this was when we had first started the, the computer science program there. So nobody really had computer science background. He's like, my high school students, can't, they're having struggles with these and look at these kindergartners go. So yeah, I, I totally agree that um, you give them the right tools and the right language. Anybody can do it. But are there any other takeaways for educators that you would have? I mean, I guess the other thing, and maybe this is for all levels, less, a little bit less for researchers, but kind of maybe educators at all levels. The other part of it is, I think, and especially that first paper where a lot of it was about attitudes and it was about interest and you know, sort of what did these kids want to be when they grew up? I think, especially in computer science education, we tend to feel like we have failed if we don't capture kids, if they don't want to be a computer scientist. Because often we, and I mean, maybe this is this is less probably K to 12 and more college to some extent, although high school too. I think, you know, like I think, gosh, I mean, elementary school teachers are actually the best teachers in the world. They're so much better. I have done research with teachers at all levels. And mm-hmm. let me just tell you, I can tell you confidently as a researcher that elementary teachers are better teachers than like everybody else. Yay, elementary and, teachers. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And it's it's partly because they really believe that everybody can learn everything oh, and they don't, they're less worried too about like the outcomes. I mean, so early in my teaching career, I got into an argument at the time I was teaching Perl as the programming language that I was teaching. And I got into an argument with a parent who worked at Google who said, nobody uses Perl in the working world, which I was like, okay, so first of all, I can reel off a list of companies that prove you wrong. I'm like, secondly, I am not preparing your daughter for the workforce. I'm preparing her for high school. And so I think that mindset of elementary school teachers are not thinking, you know, oh my gosh, what job are they going to have? 
And they're just thinking like, what are the basic skills that everybody needs? And so I sort of wish all computer science teachers felt that way. I guess I wish all elementary teachers were comfortable with enough computer science to realize that just like reading, just like number sense, you know, knowing some stuff about algorithms, you know, knowing some of these concepts about computer science and even being able to just control a computer and not just like point click, I can bring up, you know, this Instagram or this TikTok, but actually like I can create a thing is super valuable, you know, but also, I mean, I want every member of Congress someday to have taken a computer science class and realized that it's not magic. I want, you know, my nurse, I want, I don't know, just like everybody in my life to, you know, every artist I know should know a little bit about like how the internet works. And it's probably not going to directly affect the art they make, but they should just know it to be a person in our society. Well, I could not agree more. I'm nodding nodding along (laughs) vigorously. And I think that is a great place to stop, (laughs) to wrap up and really just encourage everybody to try it out. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll share resources from our talk and the papers with folks if they want to take a deeper dive. Fantastic.